Welcome back. Thanks for joining me and members of the 2162HHC as we continue our conversation in part two of redeploying during COVID. Lieutenant Parr, tell me about this this team. You spent a fair amount of time with these these three soldiers. Yep. Tell me about the team as a whole. How did it gel? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but we can edit stuff out. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so a little bit of background on our group. So um, we were a conglomerate that um, we had been remissioned, and the Jordanians wanted us to bring forward our best. So we had some 218th field artillery, forward observers, we had some snipers, we had some recon guys, we had some infantry guys, and we had some mortarmen. So we had a very diverse group going forward, um, and a very small group. But with that being said, we all had to obviously jail, we had to work together, but then at the same time, we had to be our own individual cells that would go out and train our own specialty tasks. Um, which I think it helped in the effect of being able to go out, train our mission, do our job. Obviously when COVID wasn't a big thing when we were actually able to execute our mission um, and then be able to come back together and maybe BS about some stuff or be like, oh man, this guy did this, that guy did that. I can't believe this happened because of X, Y, and Z, those types of things. And because we had such a diverse group, um, it didn't allow us to, I think, really get bored in that aspect. Obviously when COVID happened, I mean, we were locked down and that was a pretty rough time as I'm sure the guys over in Kosovo are experiencing, you know, things that you just, you just can't do. Yeah. That's one, that's one question I didn't ask is how did it affect you guys while you were in Jordan? Oh my gosh. I mean, we were, we were on the field one day with an entire mechanized battalion of Jordanians, 10 o'clock and their battalion executive officer came out and was like, you guys are going back to the border. Training's done. They loaded back up into their five tons and they took off and we didn't see them again. And they went off to guard their borders, do their, um, you know, their, their job for their king. And then we just went back to base and we, we were on base for six weeks, right? I mean, we were able to get out and go to the ranges and do ruck marches and do our own internal stuff. Super cool. But yeah, I mean, we were locked down because nobody really knew how to handle it. The embassy, nobody was moving anywhere. No flights were moving anywhere. We had a first sergeant that had a dental issue. He had gone to Germany like three days before this all happened. It took him 73 days to get back to base because they kept going from Kuwait to Germany, back to here, back to here. To what embassy is gonna approve this? It's just one dude. We're not gonna let him fly into country. Like it, it was wild, the things that were trying to be figured out at the time. And I'm sure you guys can speak to a lot of other craziness, so. I think the craziest part for me, sir, was when they, uh, you know, we were having downtime, sir, well, after the COVID thing happened, and we were waiting to kind of see what our next step was, and they decided that they were going to put um, a quarantine base right outside of our post, and they're like, somebody needs to make this happen, and we were kind of just standing there like, cool. So we started doing Sec 4 for that, and that was a huge, huge transition from what we had been doing to now we've got to learn another skill set now we've got to train up and you know figure things out and accomplish a mission as best we can and I feel like we did that pretty well but you know those first couple of you know you start working nights and then you know schedule changes and you come off a night shift to go to a day shift and it, it was uh 
It was a lot of a lot of work actually, sir. <laughs> Being adaptive again. Yeah, obviously key. Right. So um, I'm going to get to uh, the uh, family readiness group leader, uh, Tiffany Becker. Um, Tiffany, thanks for being here today. Obviously, you had a big part in putting this together, and we appreciate it. It's important that our um, soldiers, airmen, come back and are resilient and ready to, to reintegrate with their families and their employers. Um, tell us, what is it that your office does to help make that happen? Um, well, I mean, mainly the main thing that I do to provide for the families is just kind of check on, check in, and we make calls out to the family members and see if there's any needs that their family has, and then can we, do we have something of assistance for them? Um, but me as just the family readiness, family readiness group leader, I just contact the families directly, and then I go to the Army and kind of what, what do we have for these people um, to help them out, or do we have anything? And if we don't have something, do we know of an organization that we can develop something? Um, so that's kind of mainly what I do. And then for me right now is um, my guys that are in Kosovo are getting ready to come home. And um, knowing Lieutenant Parr, I reached out knowing that he just came back. And, you know, he's going to have that perspective of what is it like. My husband's deployed three times, and each time is very different. Um, the closest to this type of situation would be his first deployment, coming home from Iraq, and then having to go to um, Hurricane Katrina right after. And even that is kind of not even comparable to this, in a sense, you know? So um, mine is what can, I, what can I do to help prepare these soldiers, because their spouses want to make sure that they know what they're kind of coming home to, um, and just kind of get that reality check. So you touched on a little bit, but what are some of the specific specific challenges uh, of the return of this particular trip, this particular mobilization? I mean, COVID obviously was a big piece yeah, of it. COVID, um, families that were affected by fires, um, that was another one. Uh, we had a lot of families that had to be um, evacuated and are back home, so that's been one. Um, I think COVID's really, yeah. <laughs> you know, just how that's going to affect their family when they come home. Like he mentioned, schools. So let's say you are a soldier that has a spouse and four kids that are in school. Your spouse is doing her job from home on a computer. Your four kids are in four different classes on four different computers in the same kitchen trying to check in, and you're trying to hold that down by yourself. And... Um, that's going to be a hard reality to come home to for yeah. soldiers. Um, Tell me about some of the resources you share. Resources are, um, I mean, we have so many. Um, there's different trainings for different situations, um, like reintegration trainings. That's usually something we have through the Yellow Ribbon Program, and there's online trainings that they can go through and do on those. Um, Let's say you have an emergency, something in your house breaks, like plumbing, for instance. Um, our VFW has adopted our unit, and so we could go to them for an emergency, but we can also go to um, the Army's um, family assistance specialists and ask if there's anything for that area that is a resource that could go help that family. Um, 
If there's financial emergencies, we can help with those. Um, and then there's lots of little things for like kids. I know they try to put out kids events to try to get that camaraderie too with other kids that you know their family members are deployed. Um, so they have been doing good keeping up on that. Um, I feel like there's a, a lot of things. Um, can you share with me some maybe lessons learned? Lessons learned. Um, it is hard to be one person providing for 147 soldiers' families. So we need more volunteers. And so more volunteers would be awesome. Um, but it's also in times like these where there's so much specific information or if a deployment is a hard deployment, um, it's really hard to have multiple people tracking issues. Um, so having good communication amongst your volunteers <coughs> is very important. But having more volunteers, and it's also hard when you have a unit that's mainly people who've never deployed before. It, that can be really hard for um, people to want to volunteer. Um, but trying to also communicate that it's important and that's kind of how you learn is being willing to step up and be a volunteer. But definitely more volunteers within the program yeah. would be helpful. Uh, what about you guys? Lessons learned. What are things that you're going to share? No kidding. Uh, for me, the biggest thing was <laughs> we. It, it was amazing how much communication we had with our families. Uh, we could FaceTime, we could call, we could text, uh, we could do everything. But at the same time, a lot of our soldiers have Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook, and it was a huge, huge hurdle trying to keep all that uh, working smoothly. A lot of rumors going around, and especially when you know uh, Portland was basically rioting that was, oh, we're gonna get called up, we're gonna get this, and then we've got family members getting involved. Uh, if there's an incident, there's no way to keep it under wraps until we can figure it out internally. Uh, so for me, trying to figure out how to be more efficient at not so much shutting down communication, but handling that flow of information coming in and out of the platoon is, is, is a huge challenge right now, Chief. Yeah, I think communication is always a challenge in everything we do. And uh, all those social media, there's its goods. Um, it's obviously something that needs to, um, it's, it could be challenging as well, right? So I agree completely that um, we've all talked about this throughout our careers is the challenges of communication. To have the ability to be able to communicate with our families is fantastic. Um, but those challenges that come with it are things we need to you know, be very aware of uh, with OPSEC specifically. Right. Anything else as far as lessons learned? Uh, for me, I think the probably the biggest thing is, is that recognizing that deployment is kind of a microcosm of what the military is like. It's one experience. It might be you can kind of equate it to like going to a school for the Army. Uh, whether that experience is good or bad, at when you're in that experience, you need to be able to lean on the people around you. I was really lucky in that I had Sergeant Salerno as a roommate. And him and I have very similar personalities. Uh, we're both pretty laid back, you know, like our, we like to have our downtime. And so being able to kind of lean on him as support was really helpful. Even though, you know, at times the there was elements of the deployment that were stressful, uh, that was what allowed me to get through it without, <laughs> without a lot more frustration than I had. And that was a, a, a pretty important thing that I would pass on to anybody is lean on the support system that you have around you and recognize that deployment is just one part of your military experience. It's not the whole experience, so don't judge the military based off your deployment. 
Yeah, you can always talk to your master resiliency trainer. Um, Staff Sergeant Gilbert Aguello, I believe, if you ever need that any, any kind of any kind of support from that, uh, Sergeant Aguello would be more than happy to talk to you. You gonna give us his number right here? Uh, <laughs> I, I can. Yeah. <laughs> he's the master resiliency trainer, though, so he, he's a good contact. That's a fantastic chief. plug. Yeah, that really was. Sir <laughs> Gasper. Anything um, as far as lessons learned that you'll share? Uh, I mean, honestly, right now, um, guys that are overseas, uh, you know, you've been with everyone for how many months, year. Um, you know, you've been around that, and then you don't think that this is real. I didn't take it serious. I mean, I was like, I've been on lockdown with these guys for like six weeks, eight weeks, like no way I'm gonna get sick, like whatever, wear a mask, whatever, don't need it. And then you come home and it's real, you know, you gotta wear your mask. I mean, just just do it, put everything aside. Uh, I mean, like we said before, I mean, uh, these, some of these are people's businesses, you know, yeah, you gotta respect that, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, LT. Um, I think my biggest takeaway, kind of on the other side of the coin, being in kind of a middle middle leadership role, um, was the ability to be transparent with my leadership above and also who I was leading um, down the chain. Um, there were so many. Everyone jokes about the PNN, right? The private news network and how how the things. PNN. Yeah, or the the Jan. I did coin. It's the John. It's the Junior Officer News Network, um, because th you know those things run rampant, right? People come up with ideas. They heard this. Their friends told me that, and it got lost in translation through the telephone game, right? Um, when we would receive information, filtering the the information that was that was BS or whatever that did not need to go to the Joes, but also filtering and taking their questions and running them up the chain and understanding what their concerns were. And for me and my platoon sergeant to be as transparent with them as we possibly could to alleviate the stresses, right? Because it was myself and Sergeant Sapp. And, you know, we had 48 other dudes that were concerned with X, Y, and Z. And we needed to do our job of being as transparent as possible to them um, because they have my concerns, well, they're just exemplified by 48, 48 times, right? So having that transparency, um, because so many soldiers these days ask why. And so if I can give them a reason why, and there's buy-in and there's understanding, even if it's a crappy reason, even if it's like, dang, this is a bummer. We're having to do this, and this is enforced because of this reason, we're all doing it. But if I can, if I can turn the, the tide of that negativity and be transparent, hey, this is a bummer, but we're gonna do this. We're professionals, we're gonna step up and we're gonna do what we need to do. Um, I think that really changed uh, the ability to have a positive outlook on, on situations that were tough. Yeah, good, thanks for sharing. Is there anything else we need to share? Is there something else yet? One thing I'm looking at is I know reintegration on a deployment can be pretty isolating when you first come home. That's pretty common. Um, and I feel like that's one thing all of you guys have brought up is isolation in one way or another. It may not have been the word isolation, but essentially that's what it was, right? Um, 
And so my thing is, is what could the Army do to help with that isolation feeling? Because you guys kind of came home with a lot of camaraderie with people, and it's just gone when you get back. You're not really, like, you're not really with those people um, like you have been. So you can kind of call them and have it in that way. But is there something on a larger scale that the Army could do um, after you guys come home to kind of help with that isolation feeling? Good question. Good question. That's, that's a good question. I don't, I don't have that's an answer. That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's something that could be necessarily Army-driven because when you come back from deployment, I mean, I'll – I'll be the first person to admit this. I didn't want to see anybody that I deployed with for at least 30 days. Like the fact that I had to fly back with a couple of them was stressful enough. <laughs> and uh, I think that, you know, that, that feeling of being alone is that's something that ha has much wider ramifications across, you know, how a person reacts to change. And I, that's a tough one. I think that honestly, for me, I think that the best thing that the army can do is, try to encourage those that relationship building between soldiers at all levels of an organization so that when they get back, like I knew when I came back, if I ran into trouble, there was Staff Sergeant Holbrook I could call, there was Staff Sergeant Wilson, uh, there was Sergeant Salerno, there was Sergeant Gasper, there was multiple NCOs that I could talk to, there was uh, my peers that I could call and talk to. I knew that there was people there to support me. So even though I was isolated, I still had that support group and that made a huge difference. What made you confident in having that support group? Because some people may not have that. So do you have any advice on how to kind of plan having that support group that you feel comfortable contacting if you need to? I think it's a matter of uh, being able to make friends uh, at, at your peer level and then being able to have leaders that you look up to. I think that's also a very leader-driven thing. Leaders need to be good leaders so that they inspire trust in their support, in themselves, in through their subordinates. You know, if your subordinates don't trust you, you're not really leading them, you're commanding them. And if your subordinates trust you, they're gonna come to you when there's a problem. Hands down, every time. Well, there's also, um, if you don't have a mentor, you need to get one. Your, your mentor plays a huge, huge role in your military career and uh, you need someone to talk to, you need someone to, preferably with experience, you can ask even the little questions, you know, how do I wear this on my uniform or how do I stop drinking so much coolers every night. Um, <laughs> you need to have a mentor. Really be looking out for a good one. On that note, shout out to Staff Sergeant uh, Smolinski, one of my old uh, squad leaders, because he was that for me coming back from deployment. I was able to call him with a beer and just tell him everything that had gone on on deployment. And he was there. He listened. He offered his you know sage advice, and it really helped. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I don't know if it's so much what the the Army can do, but I think it's uh, a culmination of uh, pa uh, soldiers on past deployments, um, you know, uh, just being there and, and, and just expressing like, hey, like we are here, you know, I was just sitting at my desk last week and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Hessel comes up to me and he's like, oh, you just got back from Jordan. And he's like, you know, if there's anything you need, someone you need to talk to, you know, I'm here or this person's here. So I think it's, you know, a lot of uh, leadership, you know, and, you know, good old E5 know, like, hey, you can come talk to me, you know. I think other soldiers, you know, just should be able to be aware that there are people who have been on deployments and that you can talk to them or you 
like Specialist Caller said, you can call someone up uh, and talk to them too. The Air Force refers to that as your wingman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, snap. So, yeah. I think that's a different thing in the Army. It's definitely uh, a different thing in the Army. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not only that, too. Uh, I suppose, especially as NCOs on deployment, we try to project ourselves as being, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, meaner, like sometimes smarter. And that's, it's, it, there's a huge difference between your personal and your professional life. And when we got home, I, I took the uniform off. I'm not. Sergeant Slayer anymore, I'm Devin. You know, you can call me, you can talk to me. I'll be the first to admit it. I get sad, I get depressed. I talk to my mentor, I talk to my parents. Like, you don't have to call me about Army issues. You know, like, I had a soldier call me the other day, he was all excited because his baby was born, and or not being born, because he's found out his wife is pregnant, and it completely made my morning. Not Sergeant Gasper, but it was Special Donaldson. He was having a little girl. It was pretty, kind of amazing, actually. Really? Heck yeah. yeah that's awesome. Pretty cool. That's yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you guys obviously have a great connection, and and like you alluded to, the team really did end up gelling pretty tight. They're a pretty tight group of folks, and and it's something that will probably last a lifetime. These are going to be lifetime friends and lifetime soldiers. Um, I, I, all I can say at this point really is welcome home. I hope that it continues to go well. I know that you're doing your best to overcome some of the adversities of just coming home, um, COVID, the fires. Obviously, the two of you deployed as part of the DOM ops to, to assist with traffic control points. I mean, it, there's a lot of work goes on, and I don't think that everybody in this state realizes how much work uh, that, that happens, how much really happens, how much the National Guard really does for us. And so, from, for me, thank you. Um, and I think that's all we have, unless someone else has something else they want to share about this particular deployment or your return. Uh, one thing, Chief. Yeah, of course. Um, the walls of the barracks are really thin, and if you're not wearing headphones, everybody hates you. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your music, keep your music down. Just wear headphones. Or it's the best time to spread rumors. <laughs> yeah. Chief, I actually got a question for Tiffany. Um, you're talking about some of the services that are available for soldiers coming home, specifically Yellow Ribbon. I'm sure there's a lot of soldiers that are still deployed who have deployed before and have used those services in the past. How have those services, how, how are they going to change or how have they changed because of COVID? Is there anything that you can tell the soldiers that have yet to come home, how to expect those to be a little bit different? I guess um, for several of the services, there's not like for, let's say I'm, I'm planning Christmas right now for when the guys come home, hoping that everybody can get a food box and the kids can get presents like they always have. Um, so like that's something fun we get to do, but because of COVID, we're still trying to figure out, can we do that? So I think a lot of the resources, it's kind of as they come to us, we're learning how it's adjustment. So for us, it's very much a learning curve too. And we don't have a lot of those answers, unfortunately. We try to do the best we can um, like I had a spouse that was, um, had a cold, she was not feeling well at all, but because of COVID, you know, maybe she doesn't have COVID, maybe she does, like we don't know, right? But like when you get sick, it's kind of that instant, like normally you would go to the store and get that stuff for yourself and you kind of stop and go, well, I can't go to the store now because what if I infect someone else? So like as these spouses are alone, they don't have their significant other, 
it's like me watching on Facebook, seeing she's sick, and like, okay, what can I bring you? Do you have food? Do you have medication? Like, what what can I do? A porch drop. But like normally I would go and make sure she's okay and maybe even help take care of her. But then there's kind of that line too of at least I can do a porch drop. If I can do nothing else, I can get her those meds. Um, and then it's really getting the people, the resources, especially if it's a physical resource, that with COVID you kind of have to kind of figure out how we're going to do that in the safest way for the family member. Um, and then it also helps when soldiers check in and kind of like, hey, can you check in on my wife or she might need whatever, because sometimes the spouses don't want to ask, you know, for a resource. They feel like they're being a burden, which they're not. Um, but I mean, I've been that guilty of being that spouse too. Um, so I always encourage, like, please reach out if you need it, even if it's something so simple. Um, we try to figure out the best way. We're not just going to leave you hanging. We're going to try to find something. Um, but really, it's with COVID, it's just kind of we figure it out as we go, and no resource and no thing that comes up or emergency that comes up is generally the same. It's all very different. Um, so we just kind of adapt, and with COVID, we're just still adapting. Thank you. I had one more question. Uh, we've talked a lot about what it's been like for you as returning soldiers coming home after deployment in this COVID environment and uh, what your fellow brothers and sisters that are still overseas can expect to come back to you. Uh, what advice do you think you can give to family members of those that are still deployed? Uh, what should they expect? How should they prepare themselves to uh, get ready for their loved ones coming home? Uh, honestly, uh, if you're if you're worried about your service member coming back and potentially like contracting COVID between the time that they get released from quarantine until the time that they get back, there are resources in the area to get tested. I actually have been tested on, I've been tested twice now for COVID. First when I came back and then after uh, being deployed for the fires. Both negative? Both negative. Um, thank God for that. But you know, the first time was I wanted to be sure. I went and got tested. Second time was we were in a very enclosed environment, wanted to get tested just to be sure. There are resources in the area, and TRICARE actually covers getting tested. Uh, I went through AFC Urgent Care in Oregon City. It, I scheduled an appointment the day prior, showed up the next day. They did the nasal swab. I stayed in my car the whole time, walked me out the results, no problem. So just being able to have that little bit of a sense of security there that you can go get tested uh, and use TRICARE, use the resources that you have when you're coming back. You're going to have TRICARE for a while. Take advantage of it. Um. I'd say as far as the things that the, the family members can can really do to help the service member um, is to be patient with the service member. Um, yes, and I experienced this with my wife of, hey, I'm coming home and she's been carrying this burden by herself for however long it's been going on and now she's wanting me to hold some of that burden for her. And that was really challenging because um, I'm dealing with my own my own emotional, mental, whatever burden from leaving country. Um, and so I think if, I guess I should adjust that statement and that both parties need to have some understanding and some cooperation of everybody's been dealing with a stressful time. Everybody wants the other person to support what they've been going through and to, to draw yourself back and to understand um, that 
you need to support each other um, and to have patience and compassion. Um, I think we'll go a lot farther than somebody just getting frustrated at the situation. Yeah, I just, I would just piggyback off that, you know, have open communication, uh, both sides, and most importantly, uh, listen, you know, is a big thing. And that's, that's both sides, you know, like me listening to my wife, my wife listening to me, and just being able to talk through if we're going through something or um, explaining ourselves better, like what we need or what we want um, is a big thing. And um, I guess that doesn't go so much to like prepare the family, but it, it should be both ways when the soldier comes home and uh, the family member who's been home through this, you know, it's just, you gotta talk. And you, you gotta listen too. Tiffany, do you have anything to add as a as a family member perspective? Um, I guess one thing that has always helped me and my husband is going into it realizing as the soldier, you have no idea what it was like to be home alone and take care of everything. But on the flip side of that is the family member. You have no idea what that deployment was like. And I think that is one thing that you can come together on. As much as it can be the thing that divides you, it can actually be the thing that brings you together because learn, it's something new you can learn. After every deployment, you're different people. You went through different experiences, even though you had this one similar, you really experienced them very differently. And so if you can both just acknowledge, I don't know what you went through, you don't know what I went through, so let's learn what we went through and how can we support each other in it and make it be something that brings us together. And I think, uh and I actually kind of probably have a different perspective than all of you. I don't have a significant other. There was nobody waiting at home for me except for my parents and, you know, one or two of my best friends. There's, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have a wife. Uh, so I expected, and we got home on the 4th of July. I was like, yeah, we're going to go party. We're going to go to some bars, and that's not going to happen. Uh, in all reality, your favorite bar is probably closed. You know, your, your favorite place to hang out, it closes at 10. Last call is at 9.45. Uh, if you're thinking you're going to come home and have a massive come home celebration, you know, on the for New Year's, it's not going to happen. Just get that out of your head right now. Um, come home, hang out with your close friends, and be thankful for that. that. That's about it, really. All good advice. So you guys uh, took a fair amount of time out of your day, and uh, and we appreciate that because I think. All of your perspectives are incredibly valuable to all of our soldiers and airmen as they return. Um, thank you, Tiffany, for being here as well. I think that you add a whole, um, an interesting perspective to all of this, uh, not only as a spouse member, but as uh, a coordinator for those that are coming home. And we appreciate the work that you do. And another shout out, more volunteers, right? We need all the help we can get, and we appreciate it. LT, thanks for leading this group. Um, you obviously did a great job. Um, all of you as NCOs, and and, um, and specialist, <laughs> who I'm sure soon will be an NCO. I'm just sure of it. Hopefully by the end of the month. Okay. <laughs> I actually have to point out, sorry to interject, uh, Specialist Collard, the most junior person in the room, he was actually the one that spoke the most about what the leaders need to do. And uh, as a senior NCO myself, I couldn't agree with more what he said, and it's extremely important. So a special shout-out to you, Specialist Collard. Uh, appreciate you that, have sorry. a great mentality. Keep with it. Absolutely. Thanks for being our junior enlisted, Collard. Appreciate it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> good, good fun poking at you, but you're uh, you're very articulate, and uh, and I have no doubt that you'll you'll continue to move up. I appreciate that, Chief. Thank you. So that's what I have. Thanks for being here. Appreciate Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
In closing, I'd like to thank the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office and Sergeant First Class Holden for producing this podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode, which will highlight in discussion a very important ingredient of our core values. Never forget, every soldier, every airman, a leader. This is Chief Connor signing off.